0: I am baffled by this scripture. Paul writes a letter from prison, and yet he seems to exude joy. If I send you a letter from behind bars, I will be complaining about the food and the bed and the noise and the loneliness of being isolated. Paul, though, writes with joy, gratitude, confidence. He writes as a spiritual cheerleader. You might think from the tone of Paul's voice that he was only in prison briefly, and he knew he would soon be released from the shackles, but Paul was actually in prison for a very long time. Of the 10 letters that we know Paul wrote in the New Testament, four of them were written from prison. And in one of those letters, he shares a list of his closest supporters and friends, shares their names, but by the time he writes this letter to Philippi, he no longer lists five of those friends. Perhaps the circle of his friends dwindled during his long incarceration. For months, I have been reading this letter to the Philippians and wondering how is it that Paul could write such an upbeat, uplifting, positive, supporting, and encouraging letter to the Philippians while he sits chained in a prison cell awaiting a trial. I was discussing this text with New Testament scholar David May, and David remarked, I had never thought about how Paul may have woken up in the middle of the night and thought, this isn't going to be over soon. Paul is a good mentor then, a good role model for those of us who face unexpected hardships in life surely when he converted to christianity and became a missionary he never dreamed he would land behind bars for merely preaching the good news though we don't have time to review the whole letter you can read all four chapters later if you want it's just five pages but here is my summary of what paul writes hold fast stand firm in times of crisis hold fast to your faith As he says in chapter three, verse 16, only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Sometimes Paul finds the path to joy in the midst of dire circumstances, simply by holding fast to his faith. But what does it mean to hold fast to our faith? In these days, while we wait for a vaccine, while we wait for the election cycle to be over, while we wait for justice, while we wait for peace, while we wait for economic prosperity for all God's children, how are we to hold fast to our faith in any real and meaningful way? Sometimes we hold fast to our memories. Paul says in the opening lines of the letter, every time I remember you, I thank God and offer a joyful prayer because of you and you and I have shared in the gospel. Paul looks back on the past times that he has shared with his friends in Philippi and he can't help but feel the joy and the deep connection that they have shared in Christ. He remembers. He remembers the friendship, the potlucks, the beginning of a house church, the plans they made together, the laughter they shared, the hopes for a better world that they could build by following Jesus together. I talked recently to my friend Claudia. She had just retired last year and was ready to travel and spend more time seeing her friends scattered across the country, but then COVID came. And then in the middle of COVID, she was diagnosed with cancer. And because her friends are spread out across the country, she was worried that as a single person, she might not be able to navigate those cancer treatments alone. She wasn't even sure what to pray or how to pray or even who to pray to. Did she even still believe in God, she wondered? Or if so, is there a God who will even listen? But one day, she began to pray by remembering all the people in her life who have loved her. And she began to focus in on the years when she was growing up in Chicago and going to an Episcopal day school And there were some good teachers there, some dear friends. And then she began to think specifically about how the school principal had had cared for her and nurtured her and how much he had invested in her as a student, how he always went out of his way to be kind to her and encourage her. And she began to focus on the warmth of his spirit. And the next day, she got a letter in the mail from him which was odd, because he had been dead for decades. But her mom had been cleaning out boxes in the family home in Chicago, and she had found a letter that the principal wrote to her at graduation saying that she was an excellent student filled with vision and compassion and that she would surely do well in the world. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy. When you and I face uncertainty, whether it is personal, like a health issue, or communal, like a global pandemic, we might also hold fast by reaching back into our memory banks to plumb the depths of that reservoir of faith, a a reservoir that is populated with those people who have inspired us And stood alongside us and invited us to know the depth of God's love is that God of our past still here or maybe Paul means that we should hold fast to each other hold fast to relationships hold fast to the people around us in our real lives right now Paul wasn't able to go to worship at the temple he's locked in chains He isn't able to have dinner with a friend. He's locked away in isolation. But what he writes to his friends is intimate and personal and powerful. You hold me in your heart. I remember when my first granddaughter, Ava, first began to talk, and she didn't have the grammar or the syntax down, only a few words, and she would say, hold you me, instead of, will you hold me? Paul says something similar to hold you me when he says, you hold me in your heart. Though he is literally in chains behind bars, he recognizes that his friends are also oppressed by the Roman Empire. Philippi is a Roman province in which daily the people are challenged to live their lives as Christian people in the light of the Roman authorities. And Paul says that they share this in common with Jesus, who was also oppressed by the Roman Empire, put to death by crucifixion, a method that only the Roman Empire employed at that time. And so they hold on to each other. Last week, I read a story about holding on to each other in these challenging days. Justin and Kyle and 25 other students took a creative writing course from Yale University this summer. But Justin and Kyle couldn't go on to the Yale campus. They are incarcerated, but they participate in a program that Yale began two years ago to teach the classics to prisoners at McDougal Correctional Institute in Suffield, Connecticut. The Yale professors and graduate students began the program by traveling to the prison to teach in person, but COVID made that impossible. The inmates do not have internet access, and so the courses would not be able to shift to virtual like so many other classes. So the Yale professors and students created a new method. Well, actually, it's a very old method. They mail the lesson plans and the course readings using snail mail. They go to the library to the rare book library at Yale and they make copies of classic historical texts like Langston Hughes first raw drafts and they mail them you know like put a stamp on it and mail it and then the students read the lesson and submit their writings back through the mail And some of the very best literary minds in America then write feedback on the student papers in the margins and send them back. One student wrote, he felt like his heart was finally being treated as it should. Another wrote, the course helped me to find my own voice. And one student remarked, the more I write, the more I discover the truth about myself, about the world, about it all. By holding on to each other, by collaborating with each other, these high school dropouts in prison and the literary leaders in the Ivy League formed an invisible and life-giving bond. Last week, I got to see my parents for the first time in eight months. They live in a retirement community in Texas and they have been on 100% lockdown, but I got to see them outside for about 24 hours. We visited off and on. We did not touch, but we held each other. I hold you in my heart. Who is it in our lives today that we now have the opportunity to hold on to Or is it that Paul is not so much holding on to other people, but holding on to God? Paul prays fervently that the day of Christ would finally come. He looks forward to that moment when, as the Lord's Prayer says, the one we say every week, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul pictures God's love overflowing more and more on this earth. Paul dreams of the purity of Christ revealed in our own midst. Paul holds on to God amidst the squalor and the stench of a prison cell where he is trapped in chains. It seems like you and I have also taken this time of confinement caused by the pandemic to reconnect with God. You know, for the first eight months of the church year from July to February, we had about mm, 450 worshiping here each week. But after COVID hit and we had to move to online worship, our attendance for the next four months went up to over 700, a 70% increase. Now, I know, I know there wasn't much to compete with church, No soccer, no brunch at the club, no family trips. But I believe it was more than that. We were rattled by this unprecedented moment, and we too decided we would hold fast to something deeper than ourselves, something grander than our own lives, something powerful enough to hold us, the living God. So what do you think Paul means by hold fast? What do we hold on to during this unique season of life? To each other? To God? Or is there really even a difference? Let me close with this. My friend and mentor, Serene Jones, hosted Ruth Bader Ginsburg last February for a lecture. It was at Union Seminary where Serene is the president. During the lecture, Ruth said that one of her role models in life was Deborah, a female judge in the Bible. Afterwards, they went to dinner at Serene's home and Ruth refused to take a car but walked down the street to Serene's house. Then at dinner, Serene asked Justice Ginsburg. Why Deborah? Now, Serene is a religious scholar, so she knew all the possible reasons. Deborah is one of four female judges in the Bible. And the Bible is mostly filled with hundreds of male judges. Deborah's a poet who delivers her brilliant opinions to the crowds. And Deborah was a strategist and a warrior. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't mention any of that. Instead, RBG explained that Polly Murray was the role model who had most influenced her as an adult. Polly Murray was the first black person to earn a Doctor of Jurisprudence at Yale Law School. She worked with Ginsburg on a landmark case about gender discrimination. And Ruth saw that Polly was one of the greatest, no, the greatest legal mind that she had ever known. And then Ruth said to Serene, Polly was driven by her faith from the start. It was the only way she survived. The truth she followed was bigger than laws, bigger even than her own life. You know, she eventually left the court to become the first ordained African-American female priest, part of the first class of women to enter the priesthood in the denomination. A bit like Deborah, yes, said Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then another woman at the table hearing this spoke up and she said, did you know that she died destitute and alone with no fanfare or op-eds about her legacy? No, I didn't, said Ruth. And then the justice sat very still, in long silence, prayer like, reaching over to hold Serene's hand tightly. And then Ruth asked for seconds on dessert and another glass of wine.